Blue-Eyed Samurai is a historical epic that takes place in the Edo period of Japan. A lone swordsman raises hell and high water to seek revenge. This is an animated show with bloody action and nudity, so make sure the kids are away. Let me be clear, this is not a cartoon. It is an animated Netflix show for adults that like samurai, sword tales, and larger-than-life characters. Now let's get into it. Greetings, I am your host, the Cinematic Witness and Herald of the Story Monster. Joining me for this review is the Cavalier of Colors, the Don of Digital Painting, my friend, Ryan Robinson. Hey, hey what's up, Story Monster? <laughs> what's going on, man? Welcome back. Well, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back and good to be talking about an incredible show as well. Indeed, indeed. So I take it you binged Blue Eyed Samurai like I did. Oh, yeah. Um, I kind of did like increments. I did like three episodes and then two episodes because I didn't want to like bow through all of it. Um, but it was so captivating and so intriguing. It was hard to turn the show off, to be honest with you, um, because of how everything is in that show, just the way it is. And I think I watched it in a total of three days because I didn't want it to end. So I got to the last two episodes and just waited a whole day. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's how I felt about it, too. It's just it's one of those shows that like once you're in it, you want to see what happens next. Because of the fact that, you know, the main lead in the show, you are in their story completely. Mm. Like one of my favorite episodes is episode five. It like deviates from the whole structure of what the show is about. And like, I think for me, it, that was the best thing about it. It reminded me of like The Last of Us, like episode three deviates mm. from the whole entire premise of the show. So that that's what captivated me most is that they 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 took liberties, they took risks. And I think that's what makes it such a great show because most shows don't do that anymore oh yeah i like the mystery um it reminds me of those old kung fu samurai movies um you know we grew up watching where the subtitles and the lips don't match (laughs) yeah it had that whole vibe i think for me like it, it, it also helps that they had a good voice cast like there's a lot of actors in here like uh, the sword maker was one of my favorite car- uh, characters and that's done by like Carrie uh, Carrie Tagawa. Yeah, Tagawa. And like that that's Shang Tsung from like Mortal yeah. Kombat. So like wow. And like you know you had George Takei in there who played uh Sucky, the old um shysty ass black market dealer and procurer yeah. of holes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was it was just ridiculous. And you know you have Kenneth Branagh who's like who played Fowler. Yes. Bad guy. Like Kenneth Branagh. Like I would never like even thought of that. I didn't even know it was him. Yeah. And like you had like uh, Masio Konawa from Heroes. Yeah. He was uh, Ringo. He he played Ringo. And I was just like, 
what? <laughs> like, well, let's, is- let's spend a little time right there really quick on Ringo's character. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was watching the show, I did not originally catch that, like, on my first viewing that he was disabled. Yeah. Well, in, in, in the modern sense, right? Um, I think it was masterful how they wove that representation into the story organically and they didn't make it a big deal. Like they didn't oversell it like every five seconds. How do you do this with no hands? How do you do this with no hands? It was kind of like he was just doing everything. He wasn't disabled. He was able just differently. Yeah. And my thing with that is that Misu, who was the lead, didn't see that as a hindrance. And I mm-hmm. think that's what made it so much more captivating. You know, he she the Misu treated him like he was an idiot primarily half right. the time. You know, not just because he had no hands. Like, and that's the thing, like, that she didn't want to be bothered because she had a mission. Right. You know? So I think for me, like I, I love how they handled the disability in the show because it wasn't a a focus. The character wasn't the focus point. The character was about being the best possible person in their craft. Mm -hmm. If it was food, if it was mastering the sword, if it was, it it was because he wanted to be first, the best noodle maker in all of the land, you know, you know? So I think for me, it was a very smart, move you know in the show i thought it was a great a great it was just smart (laughs) absolutely 100 percent. one of the things that also caught my eye and it only i kid you not it took me at least three or four episodes to realize um not that it mattered but the gender of the character which is never explicitly stated into like when it's almost over never stated yeah and like you can pick up on hints and things of what she is about but in the long run this show honestly is not about the gender identity of this individual or sex involved in this character this character is strictly about revenge this is a revenge kind of character but in ways like you almost wonder like what's the the driving force behind all of it and none of it's really kind of like focused on it's about she just wants to kill these three white people (laughs) like yeah yeah and that's 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 (laughs) because her mom was raped and she came out yeah with blue eyes and I get it. I get all that, but we don't dive heavily into that in the show. The show is about it's kind of surface level, right? Yeah, like they kind of touch level. on it, like identity yeah. and how um, Mizu's identity was kind of, you know, and they use this language in the show, like you're cursed, you're, you're a devil, you're a monster because you are biracial. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, because that was the attitude of the time and in some regards today in society in certain parts. So I think yep. it was pretty cool how they took something that was so um, vehemently, um, you know, detested at that time. And it they, they brought gender, it into modern day and made it yeah. a storytelling plot. And it makes her gender not in void. 
she could be male or female at that point because she's considered a monster. And oh, like, God. that's the thing. And like, I thought it was like, it's so, it's captivating in that way because of the fact that Misu in, in ways don't know how to react to those kind of positions when it comes to sex or gender or anything like that. It was hard for her in the beginning until you get to episode five. Oh my God. <laughs> until you get an understanding of her character and what she's about but still it's still all surface yeah. she's not about that. she's not about any of that yeah and, and these types of shows and stories I, I call it a cinematic lasagna because there's mm-hmm. so many layers so many subplots taking place and the reason i love the show and, and one of my other friends we binged it at the same time. I told her, oh, it's the show on Netflix. I believe it was Morgan Iverson. Shout out to Morgan yep, Iverson. He yeah, was I talking told about to get on it. He, yeah, he, did. he was he talking about it. it. Yeah. You were talking about it endlessly. And I was like, what the hell is Blue Eyed Samurai? Mm-hmm. That's how I got put on. And then I told my friend Alexis, and she was like, yo, I'm on episode three. I said, damn, how you get past me already? <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's so good how um oh man, it's just so much to the show, like the development of the characters, because it's only eight episodes or nine mm-hmm. episodes, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. in those nine episodes, we get like a dozen characters thrown. It's a lot of motherfuckers in this story, right? A but lot. You know lot. all what of them going. Though. Yeah, you get yeah. to know um Mikio, all of them. Or Mikio, the love interest, Ringo, um, Tegan, Princess Akami, um, Mm -hmm. Seki, um, the black market dude, um, Heji, Haji. It's just so many people and so many nuances. Even Mm -hmm. the side characters, they be saying little shit and you like, oh, wow. So this person grew up. They didn't have a choice. So they're trying to like keep that tradition going. And, and make this character do what they had to do to, you know, status quo type shit. And I'm just like, wow. So we learning about history through dialogue. Oh, the culture. Mm-hmm. The culture and the history is instilled in that show. Speak on that shit. Yeah. You know, the positioning of where that country is at that point in time, which I thought it was breathtaking because you don't see that in a lot of animated shows. Like, it is in the culture is instilled like the white man coming to that the, the, like it was just beyond me i thought it was brilliant visually mm-hmm. i would say it was almost flat the way the colors were used but the contrast that they created with the tones it it, it looked like a painting yeah my friend jason worked on it he did a lot of conceptual art for blue-eyed samurai um, he worked on the show for the whole duration. Most of what you see, all the landscapes, everything, he's, he's the one who did those prior paintings. He's the one who did the paintings for that show. Jesus Christ, that's insane. It, it was almost like children book. It was, it, was like, it was almost like a children book meets mm-hmm. like high concept. Like you, you, it was easy on the eyes and it allows you to Very. focus on the action. So who who was your favorite character other than Mizu, 
um, themselves? Like, who was one of the standouts? I think for me, one of my favorite characters is probably Princess Akemi, um, because of the fact that she was a rebel. Like, she was not about, like, being a slave to a man. How dare you? And I think for me, like, that was, for me, like, in that time, that was not something you would do. Like, a woman knew their place. The, the woman had certain requirements. The woman was in a position of not being in any kind of position. You know, and she's a princess. And, like, she was not about catering to a husband, catering to somebody. But then she figured, by the end of what went down, by the end of the show, we find out that the husband can't even talk. He has a stuttering issue. Like, he he just needs help. Front, like, and she's there to help him. So she becomes something more at that point. And then, you know, you know, things go down in the show by the end. Where at that point, she finds her true purpose by the end of the show. You know, originally, she doesn't want to be this princess, this queen, whatever. You know, she wants to leave, run away with um, Tegan Tigan, whatever his name is, um, and run away with him and live on a farm somewhere. But at the point by the end of the show, she becomes... And knows what her true purpose is at that point in time, you know. Oh, yeah, and I think and I, for me that that character arc and that narrative-driven story about this one character, and there's many, <laughs> there's many. Like that's what stood out to me most. Don't get me wrong, Misu, like we're we're behind her eyes the whole entire time, but everyone in the show, even the hoe. The the woman who like the pimp the pimp hoe whatever her name oh was, yeah the head mistress in head that mistress her character was unbelievable as well her whole backstory <laughs> <and> the whole <laughs> like protecting this girl and then like Misu has to go do something terrible to take her out to give peace oh, man. like I was just like that was deep that was deep as hell. Is- crazy and this is an animated show and now a word from our overlord and sponsor anchor.fm sounds like someone is hungry what do you have in mind pork chop in a cup it's delightful southern fried cuisine at your fingertips how does it work well, I'm glad you asked, motherfucker. Pork chop in a cup is made from the finest technology in the United States. Even the old Yankees on the moon can enjoy pork chop in a cup. Simply peel back the lid, pull some water on the powder content, shake it up, and pack out. You got yourself a pork chop in a cup. Mmm, that's really good. Thanks, weird man with no teeth. Pork chop in a cup. Get it now! Follow the Story Monster on Facebook.com slash The Cinematic Witness and on Instagram at Instagram.com slash The underscore Story Monster and on Twitter.com slash The Story Monster. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. I want to stay here real quick because the sequence in which you laid out was perfect. So we go with Princess Akami, right? 
her going against, you know, the tradition, you know, where the woman is subservient to the, the samurai lord and how they're known to be abusive to their wives and even kill them in some cases if they don't like how they acting out here. Um, I, I think what was brilliant about Princess Akami's arc that she wasn't rebellious for rebellious sake. She nope. was also trying to discover what is my identity outside mm. of just sitting by and letting shit happen, right? Yep. Because she saw the condition of her people. Um, she saw the condition. She got down street level, Ooh. literally, uh, with the hoes and the you know the miscreants and everybody. She got to see what it was like to be uncovered. Um, I do mean that in the traditional sense of not having protection of a man, guidance, and all of that. Because remember, um, the what is it? The senior um, attendant of the house, Seki. Um, that was her father figure. That was her guy. And she rebelled against him, too. So yep. she was rebelling against tradition. She was rebelling against her father, her um, chosen father, if you will, or granddad, however you want her guide. Who, who she really fucked with and respected her mother. Uh, it was just so much in that, that she decided, you know what? I'm not going to listen to y'all. And the world taught her a lesson, but that was a lesson she would have never gotten. Had she, you know, for lack of a better word, snatched out of the handcuffs and took off. So she had to understand, oh, you've been sheltered, boo. You don't know what it's really like out here. That's, that's the reason. And so she went and found out the hard way extremely hard way <laughs> this yeah. ain't what it but is she handled it she handled it like a beast with like, that feminine energy son yeah like a beast and like <laughs> she grew attached to these people too and like these people became her sisters like and i, I think for me that's the, the the evolution of each character in the show they all have their own agenda like Fowler has his own agenda and their own strengths and their own strengths and weaknesses are put throughout. Oh God. Like, and I, in such a short period of time, you know what these characters are here to do and what they're for, you know? And I think for me, like in that short period, cause there's a lot of subplots, there's corruption, there's, you know, taking back our land, you know, everybody has their own agenda uh like everybody wants Fowler dead. Like it's just Oh hold, hold on, hold on. Let's not forget. Um, <laughs> you know, this is something a bit of a hot topic even in today's culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people born outside of the US being influenced by Western US culture in a bad way. Like, you know, the people looking at how we operate over here in the States and trying to, you know, do that shit across seas and it's not having the same results that I thought was incredible. Cause it was just like, no, no, no. We, we about that action with these swords, this metal, this martial arts, we're not going to use guns. And then of course you have the, the lot that's like trying to get in good with the cook, you know, the colonists. They're like, no, nah, we, we about to bring guns to Japan. Fuck all that honor shit. And, like, the way, like, what's-his-name wanted to use the guns against Fowler because he wanted to take Fowler out himself, you know? And I think, for me, this show shows, technically, the positioning of 
what that time period was at that point. You know, all Fowler wanted in the end was to get back home. He don't want to be in Japan anymore and any of that like that anymore. So, like, I think for me, him as a person, he, he had his own agenda at that point in time, you know, and Misu has her own agenda, wanting to kill Fowler, you know, because honestly, she doesn't know which person is her father. She don't know who That's, the pappy. No. Yeah, she doesn't know. All she wants to know is just she wants to kill him. Whoever it is, she doesn't want anything to be associated with her. And I think for me, like, it's just a brilliant written show. Whoever wrote this, and I don't have their name offhand, they need all the flowers. They need all the flowers. You know, do I have issues with the show? I don't. I know a few people do. Because the whole resolution of the whole entire show was to kill the white man by the end of the show. And unfortunately, none of that, <laughs> occurs. None of that occurs. Yeah. We, we take a trip to another land, you know? And the, I think the creator of the show was Michael Green and Amber Nozumi. Yeah. And I think in season two, we're going to England. We're going England. To yeah. So we're going to get a whole new set of characters. You know, and I think for me, my problem is, are we going to fall back and touch on the other characters? Or is oh, this are some of them going to follow her? Yeah. Are we going to get like a whole new world? Like literally was just like we get a new Ringo. We get a new yeah, you know, like yeah. equivalent, but the white version, I guess. I'm sure there's immigrants in England at this time um, mm-hmm. from Japan as well and other countries. Yeah, I'm sure there are, too. I think for me, like. What, what what's captivating about the show is like I said when I was talking about episode five we we go back in time we we get the gist of how we get the sword maker how she fell upon the sword maker how the mama was always been alive but my thing is was it is she alive or is she not you know we don't know <laughs> like I don't know because sometimes it felt like she was just dreaming. Like, or it was her own hallucination, her own truth that she wanted to believe what it was. You know, we don't really know because we find out that Mitsu actually kills her lover and then kills her mom, too. Yeah, if you could call her mom. Uh, (laughs) But in addition to that, I do have to acknowledge this one thing about the show. And and, and I would admit that it is nitpicky. But we have seen this with other characters, so that's why I was able to just digest it for what it was. Episode seven, wait, six and seven, mm-hmm. those um I like to call them like the Mario levels. Um yeah, souls video game, which she's fighting all types of manner of mini bosses. I was like, okay, this woman ain't got a whole torso slice. She done got stabbed in the stomach about four, five times. Yeah, How it was the a whole, fuck is she still alive? Yeah, it's a Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> like, it's basically like, like, it's Bruce Lee's, like, movie. Like, that's, like, she's in a tower. Each, each area is their own, like, thing. Mini bosses, like, like, like he's saying. It, I mean, she's getting drugged. Yeah. He's fighting giants, monkeys. 
I'm like, she falling into spike pits. I'm like, what the fuck? What's Bowser next? What she's yeah. just going through it. And I like how they highlight, like, this is one thing I think modern, like Marvel movies lack, whether it be TV shows or their actual movies. Uh, when they get a female character, they're just automatically OP. They don't train, they don't struggle. Mizu went through some shit in this show. She went through a lot of shit. And when she was fighting a big ass muscular giant dude, nah, she had a hard time. She didn't just gracefully, you know, just fuck him up in five seconds. Like, yeah, I'm a girl boss. No, she went through some shit and you see her leveling up in real time. So it's earned. And I think that's what I admire most about the character and the writing. Yeah, that and she gets hurt. Like she's not immune to pain. And I think that's what made it great, you know? Like, for me, like, she gets hurt. Like, there's a battle sequence where she gets stabbed. She nearly lost the fight. Um, and she's saved by Ringo, you know? Like, she this, this is a girl who's not, in a lack of words, she's not that smart. <laughs> she's not. Nah. She just goes into battle. She's just bullheaded. Consequence. <laughs> stubborn. You know, she's incredibly stubborn. And like, I feel for me, like a lot of people can relate to that because there is a lot of people who jump in head first, but doesn't think about the outcome or think about anything before going into battle or going into what the consequences might be in the show. And there are consequences. She gets hurt. Quite a few times, you know, you know, to the point where she almost dies, you know, like three times. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and for me, it was something that was a different experience because most of the time, like you said, there's a lot of OP characters where they just get hit and and walk it. Steven Seagal, Chuck Norris, John Claus and damn. You know, the list goes on where it's like these characters and these Hollywood mega stars, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like you can name them and keep naming them where these dudes have fought 30 dudes at once. Bruce Lee. uh, And it's just like not a scratch, but she had every scar. She had everything was wrapped up. Even her weapon broke. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, y'all keep um, when I just interviewed um, Vicenia. And for her Kickstarter deck of mini pulses, and she was saying, like, these cards, you're basically um, punishing your character to, you know, get them through the story. And I'm just like, just when I thought she couldn't get any lower with all the, the things she was going through and the, the adversity she was facing, they they somehow managed to knock her down a peg even further. Yeah, like, Misu doesn't land all the time. Her information is very limited as well. In the show, like the things that are told to her about these people is very limited information. Like she just goes from location to location to location to figure out where this person is at, you know? And that's what makes the show captivating. We go through different areas, we go through different planes and locations in the show where we find ourselves in the thick of it, in this environment, in these positions of power for these men and these positions of power for these women as well. No matter what the outcome 
from both angles. They all have power in a way. And the show ultimately in the end for me is about power. Like it's about taking control of what you want in the end. That's what a Kimmy story is about taking her power back, finding her position and what her, her destiny is going to be. We find Misu leaving the world to go get more information to kill these people. <laughs> like, you know, even Ringo finds his own power by in the sword maker. <laughs> sword maker trains him by the end of the show. Oh God. Like, I think for me, it's it's a process of strength, dignity, failure, you know, heartbreak, you know, losing your identity. Like, even the when Misu cuts his name's hair off, he loses his whole entire respect of who he is as a person. Like, that's captivating to me, you know? Oh, because yeah. can't take a loss. And, and let's acknowledge... Let's yeah. acknowledge the fact that, you know, I think it's funny and low-key toxic. And I know this is a spoiler-filled episode. But the <laughs> fact that Mizu fell for the dude that bullied her as a child. Yeah. And they, I don't, I, I can't recall if they actually had sex. I, but that's they, probably one thing I didn't like because it's, it's tropey. Yeah, you're falling, you're falling for your abuser kind of trope. And I think for me, like I was more captivated for her, like falling in love with Princess Akami. That was more, yeah, like because of the fact that you know they had this one clip, one moment. I think it's episode two, where they they she's in the carriage going past Misu Caesar, and they had this split moment. Uh huh. Like you know what it is. Where's this going to go? Where is this going to go? It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, it doesn't go anywhere. She starts to fall for her abuser, basically. Mm. You know? And an abuser, you know, is falling for her, but doesn't know it's a her, which is, like... Interesting as hell. Interesting as fuck. (laughs) That that bar scene, I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like, you're falling... Like, where are we going with this? Right. Because I know this person is a girl. Like, because Misu's a dude the whole entire time. Right. Like, <laughs> it's like the Mulan, Mulan situation. Like, the original was just yeah, like... The original Mulan. Boy, right. yeah. <laughs> Damn, boy, he's sick, boy. Yeah, bro popping wood, but doesn't even know it's a right. <laughs> Like, I've been away from a girl too long. Nah, bro, yeah, we got another story yeah. to tell here. Yeah, there's another story here. There's another story to tell. Yeah, there's another story for sure. Coming to Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Tegan unlocked. Tegan. Tegan. <laughs> a new challenger. <laughs> right, a new challenger has arrived. If you had to recommend this show... To someone who usually doesn't watch this genre of television or Netflix, what would be the main two things you would tell them to be like, hey, you need to check this out? I think for me, the main two things I would tell them that this is a story about revenge and redemption at the same time. Like it's it's something it's a story of 
just loss and heartache, pain and revenge. But this story is instilled in culture, corruption, war, and very well thrust, like well fleshed out characters. Like this is the kind of story that people dream of of watching. Like the like when I say this is one this is the best show that I watched last year in 2023, I wasn't lying. Because most shows that I watched last year, besides The Last of Us, which was my favorite show of 2023, this is a strong second contender. And it's an animated show, you know? So I think for me, the writing is what drove the story. And then on top of it, the animation was just the cream crop. It was clean. So I think for me, when you have those two things together, you you have gold. It's gold, in my opinion. So I would recommend this not for the faint hearted, because some people, you know, this is this is a very mature show. It's not a show where you're going to be walking in and they're they're throwing pokeballs. No, this is a show where people die. There's 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 abuse. There's abuse, sexual assault, sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, there is all kinds of stuff in this show which will make you turn a blind eye, but it is a captivating show. And like, I I cannot say that for a lot of shows in 2023. Like I cannot, because there was a lot of bad stuff in 2023. Yeah. Oh yeah. I want to add my two cents and say that, you know, you know, even when I talk to people and they're like, y'all need something new to watch. I always recommend blue eyed samurai. Um, because I'm just like, hey, like, especially if you are already kind of in the genre, like if you enter comics and comic book movies and the boys and Mortal Kombat and shit like that, this isn't a far cry from that type of subject matter. It's just more nuanced with a lot more plot. Um, I would say if I had to sell it, I'd say, you know, interwoven Thread plots, I would say mm-hmm. ensemble cast. Um, those would be some things I would say. Um, and a lot of drama because, you know, people love drama. So those would be my selling points. Um, I really enjoyed this show. Um, I just want to know, what would you give it out of 10? Um, like I said, if there's one thing, I would, there was only one negative trope that I didn't like was Misu falling for Tegan. But... I think for me, it's a solid, it's a solid eight and a half out of 10. Oh, we nice. I will give this on behalf of the story monster. um, I would give this, I would give it a nine out of 10. I would give it a nine out of 10. It's strong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's strong with the S and a C. Um, It was strong. But before we head out, I do want to give a shout out to, you know, one of the Kickstarters coming up. You know, I'm always, you know, trying to promote independent artists and publishers like yourself, um, the amazing Ryan Robinson. I want to give a shout out to the new Kickstarter called Air Force Ones. Check it out. It's launching Tuesday, January 30th. Um, It's about a story that takes place in a dystopian future where pilots control giant mechs known as Gears. 
Um, a group of individuals band together to fight for justice, for the people and equality. And this 70 page graphic novel by Brian J. Lambert, creator of Wingless Comics. So check that out. Make sure you click the button that says notify me on launch. This Kickstarter is banging. Check it out. Air Force Ones. And um, yeah, until next time, there are tales to be told and I will bear witness.